Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. It's time for the man that show hosts across the country have been raving about. What this guy move. has got to be one of the cockiest human beings on planet Earth. On Earth, I love him. You I happen to like that guy, but who the hell does he think he is? I like that. Okay, maybe not Evan Cohen, but Mike Babchick has a weird obsession with him. That's why I like him, because he's he's hot! He's even caught the eye of Adam Shine. Joe Serralo, pride of St. Bonaventure. Woj has called him the future of the industry. If you're still not sold, well, take Adam's advice. If you don't believe me, ask Joe. He'll be the first one to tell you how great he is. Now, it's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with, you guessed it, Joe Sorallo. I might be too strong, I don't compliments, overdosed on confidence, started not to give a fuck and stop fearing the consequence, drinking every night because we drink to my accomplishments, faded way too long, I'm floating in and out of consciousness, and they saying I'm back, I'd agree with that, I just take my time with all this shit, I still believe in that, I had someone tell me I fell off, ooh I needed that, and they wanna see me pick back up, well where'd I leave it at? Here we go, Serralo Sports Talk, episode 8, and I can't wait. For this one, we've got my weekly spot with Brandon Lang making our picks for the upcoming weekend. We've got two time Super Bowl champ Ike Taylor of the Pittsburgh Steelers joining the show. I'm all over the NBA Finals. LeBron James getting his fourth ring in just about a week's time. All over the fiasco in Nashville, the Tennessee Titans. Totally just throwing the entire NFL schedule into flux for the rest of the season. It's going to be a fun one tonight. Game two from the bubble. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and the Lakers taking on Jimmy Butler. And the depleted, banged up, injured Miami Heat. Look, I've been on the Lakers for so long, right? I've... I know initially, and I'm not going to go back, I said Clippers-Raptors, Kawhi meets his old team. Yes, that was my call pre-postseason. But the money I put on the Lakers for a futures bet a couple weeks back, actually during the, I believe it was during the second round of the playoffs, to win the NBA title, that shows that my support, look, I'm not going to lie, I totally went back on the Clippers. You know, I, I did not like what I saw out of them against Denver before they even completed the implosion. I didn't like the direction that team was going in. The Lakers, after game one against Portland, were making quick work of everyone. And I put my money where I thought I was going to get the best return on investment. And that was taking the Lakers plus 175 to win it all in the bubble. And man, that looks good. I hate the way it's going to happen, though. I hate that it's going to happen, or at least game two is going to happen, without Bam Adebayo on the court. I hate that it's going to happen without Goran Dragic on the court. Look, you heard me last week in my episode, Great Spot with Lofa Tatupu, the former All-Pro linebacker. You heard what I had to say about Bam Adebayo. I hit the nail on the head about the Miami Heat after that Game 5 loss to Boston, where Adebayo went out and put up 13 points and 8 rebounds and 8 assists, and took the sole responsibility for that Game 5 loss. I said, that's it. I said, you've got a young player This mature, who is going out and blaming himself 
for his team's Game 5 loss in a series. They're up 3-2 after he put up a pretty respectable evening. He's going out and taking full responsibility for that loss. I I said, forget about it. He's going to go out there, and he's going to have the game of his life in Game 6. What did he do? He had the fucking game of his life in Game 6. That's Bam Adebayo. And losing him, you know, Goran Dragic has had a phenomenal postseason. He is the epitome of selflessness. This team is so much better because they have a point guard like Goran Dragic. He doesn't mean as much as Bam Adebayo to this squad against the Lakers in this matchup. Because there is no one on the Miami Heat except Bam Adebayo who is capable of putting up a fight. Who is capable of somewhat slowing down Anthony Davis. No one matches up to Anthony Davis in terms of both size and athleticism on this Miami Heat team except Bam Adebayo. So it's a huge loss. I don't know how long it'll be, if it'll be the whole series, if it'll just be tonight. You know, coming into this, I thought the Lakers were going to do it. We're going to do it in 20 games. Five game series against every team they played. If Bam and Goran don't come back soon, this could be a full-on sweep. Not a gentleman's sweep. Not, not showing any respect to the Miami Heat family and friends in the bubble. Letting them get one win, one game, one night to go home victorious. No, this could be a full-on sweep. Even though I said Lakers in five, that's the direction I felt this one going in. Just like the Lakers beat Portland in five. Just like the Lakers beat Houston in five. Just like the Lakers beat Denver in five. This one might be in four if the Heat don't get back to full health. I mean, LeBron James, a man on a mission. It seems that with all the news in sports this week, with Doc Rivers going to Philadelphia, with the MLB's first 16-team playoff in full swing, with... The mess in Tennessee that I'm going to get to with the Titans and the NFL and the COVID problem, it seems that everyone's talking MJ versus LeBron this week. Now, I'm going to give that about 30 seconds of my time because I absolutely hate the debate to me. There's no question. LeBron James is the GOAT, is the best player of all time. Michael Jordan is mentally the toughest player ever, maybe the most competitive player ever. LeBron James is the best basketball player of all time. So I don't want to feed into that and to go the Fox Sports, ESPN, every other network you turn on route and debate LeBron versus MJ. But LeBron is about to get his fourth title in 10 appearances. 10 appearances. More NBA Finals appearances than 27 NBA franchises. More Finals appearances than every single NBA franchise not named the Lakers, Celtics, or Warriors. That's LeBron James. That's what you're dealing with. And yet, we're lucky enough, we are blessed enough to watch this generational NBA player, this once-in-a-lifetime talent, the best of all time. And people still want to hate him. And people still want to say he's not Jordan. He's not, some people want to say he's not Kobe. I mean, rest in peace, Kobe. That's just absurd. I mean, anyone who wants to say that Kobe Bryant is better than LeBron there were elements of his game that were better than elements of LeBron's game, you can't compare the two, right? LeBron James is the greatest of all time, and there are just too many damn people out there who still want to waste their time hating on him. And I don't know what'll shut you up, you know? If he wins this, even if he sweeps the heat, it'll be, well, they didn't have Bam, they didn't have Goran. Newsflash, even if they did, this series wouldn't go past six games. I think it's a five-gamer if the Heat are at full health, you know? Then they're going to say, oh, he was in the bubble. It was so much easier. There was no travel. He didn't play any true road games. I mean, hello, they're playing in the state of Florida. 
the Miami Heat didn't have to pick up and go too far. I mean, look, it's, it's strenuous on everyone. So first of all, that whole bubble point, if you want to say it's easier, is just null and you're flat out wrong. I mean, these guys talk about the, the mental toll it takes on them. They've been there since August. They're in that bubble for, if you're in the finals, it's going to be two and a half months. Most of which they spent away from their family. Most of which they spent in isolation, only seeing their teammates and their coaching staff. I mean, let's face it, guys. These guys could all be friends, you know. You could have LeBron, Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony hanging out off the court. When these guys are competing against each other, no one's hanging out. No one's being friendly. You know, you heard about it. There were some unnamed players, some anonymous players who came out of the NHL bubble that said, yeah, no, we'll all be friends in the offseason, but in the bubble, sometimes you go to the hotel bar, you see guys from the other team, you want to kill them. And that's how sports are. It's a competitive nature of sports. LeBron's not hanging out with Luka Doncic, grabbing a drink in the first round of the playoffs. He's not buying Jamal Murray a beer after uh, the Western Conference Finals. I mean, come on, what do you think this is? You think it's easy being there for two and a half months with one thing on your mind? And I know anytime you're in season, that should be the only thing on your mind. But literally in a bubble, that's the only thing that can be on your mind. And that's tough. So I don't want to hear any excuses for LeBron, any asterisks next to this title that he's about to win because any of those arguments, you can just take them and throw them out the window. I'm not paying attention. The LA Lakers tonight, nine and a half point favorites. Do I think they'll win by double digits? I do. Am I going to bet the game? I'm not. And here's why. I told you, I've got that hefty futures bet on them. As long as they win the series, I'm a winner. And to be frank, I'm content with that. But I've seen too many Laker games this season where they are up 18, 20 points going into the fourth quarter. And LeBron James and Anthony Davis find a nice, comfortable spot on the bench. And the Lakers B team goes out there. And it's Rondo and JaVel McGee and Alex Caruso and Dwight Howard. And not knocking any of these guys. When they're on the court with LeBron and AD, they look amazing. When they're on the court among themselves, they're not a playoff team. And I've seen too many 18-point leads turn into six-point wins for me to play a nine-and-a-half-point game in the NBA Finals. You know, no Bam, no Dragic. They still have Jimmy Butler. And Jimmy Butler is still one of the best competitors in the NBA. One of the, as I said last week, best two-way superstars in the NBA. The guy's a dog. You want to question the competitiveness of Jimmy Butler? Minnesota, his brief tenure with the Timberwolves. Practice. Taking on the other four starters and someone else. I don't know who filled in and, and took his spot. Taking them on in a scrimmage with the third stringers of the Minnesota Timberwolves, beating them. Jimmy Butler's a dog. He's one of the most competitive, business-oriented players in the NBA. And I'm sorry, could the Heat be down 16, 18 going into the fourth quarter? Absolutely. Could LeBron and Anthony Davis find a spot on the bench, and could the Lakers win this one by six points, by eight points? Worst-case scenario for anyone who takes them by nine points? Absolutely. So I'm laying off tonight, but... Not much else to talk about in terms of the series as a whole. You know, Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn, two dynamic rookies, uh, second and first team, respectively, NBA rookie teams. They could both light it up for 20 each. You know, I mean, it could be a better game than we think. I just don't see Miami defensively, which that's that's their thing. This team plays great defense. Miami and the Celtics, I said it uh, last week or two weeks ago, best two defensive teams in the Eastern Conference. I just don't see them defensively without Bam uh, being able to slow down the Lakers. But, you know, the Lakers taking their foot off the gas in the fourth quarter, 
potentially is why I'm laying off this one tonight. And I could be wrong. They could go out there and win it by 20. Like I said, they could let him back in late. So that scares me. I'm just going to ride with him to win the NBA Finals. Now, now before I get to one of my two fantastic spots on the show, the first one being Steelers cornerback, two-time Super Bowl champ, Ike Taylor. Before I get to that and the Steelers postponement this week against the Tennessee Titans, what a fiasco going on within the NFL right now. Not, not the whole league. The league is actually doing great. They're handling their business phenomenally. But what a fiasco in Nashville. I mean, the Tennessee Titans, you know, it's so funny because I love Nashville. It is, I could probably say, my favorite city that I've never been to, which I know doesn't make any sense. I'm dying to go to Nashville. I've been dying to go to Nashville since I went to Tennessee when I was 16, 17 years old and was up north on the Smoky Mountains in the Knoxville area. I've been dying to go to Nashville. What is wrong with the people in Nashville right now? Now, I'm not saying everyone, but I know quite a few people who are currently in Nashville, whether they go to college there or whether they graduated from college and they moved to Nashville. I know quite a few people there and I see on their Instagram stories, on their Snap stories, almost every fucking night they're in bars. Tuesday night, they're in a bar. Saturday night, they're in a bar. Thursday night, they're pre-gaming until about 11 o'clock and then they're in a bar. I mean, it makes no sense to me. Is there not a pandemic going on? Are the Tennessee Titans, Nashville's own football team, not suffering from an outbreak of the coronavirus where over uh, double-digit members of both their players and their coaching staff have suddenly contracted COVID? I mean, is, is this not an issue anymore? The president of the United States has COVID. The first lady has COVID. Is this no longer an issue in just Nashville? Is Nashville in its own little bubble? where groups of eight girls are still going down for their bachelorette parties, running through the streets, screaming, wearing cowboy boots. They've probably never put on a day in their lives until the, until the weekend before their weddings. I mean, is that what's going on in Nashville? Just country music and bars and bachelorette parties nonstop, like there's no pandemic? Is Nashville some kind of special city that's exempt from the coronavirus? I mean, I would think if one city has every disease known to man that it's become immune from the coronavirus, it would probably be New Orleans. But hell, this was even serious enough for Bourbon Street to close down. I mean, if Bourbon Street, the biggest party street in the world, could close down, why the hell is Nashville exempt? Why are every person I see in Nashville going about their business like nothing's going on? And now, they're not just screwing up the Tennessee Titans football season, which, by the way, has been a damn good one, 3-0, even though I, I have my gripes with them, 1-2 against the spread, but 3-0 on the football season. Now it's not just affecting them, it's affecting the league. It's affecting the Pittsburgh Steelers, who they were supposed to play this week, who now have a bye this week instead and are going to play 13 straight games to close out the year. It's affecting the Baltimore Ravens. What the hell have the Baltimore Ravens done? What's their involvement been with with the Titans that they deserve to be affected by this? Now the Ravens have their bye week altered and then they have their game with the Pittsburgh Steelers altered around uh, week seven, week eight, end of October, early November. What is going on? The Tennessee Titans just screwing up the whole NFL and the city of Nashville. Look, it's not my job. No one's going to listen to me. Stay the hell home. I just don't understand why every other city in the country is doing their job, even though we're seeing a small uptick pretty much everywhere. But why Nashville is just every time I go on my phone... I see partying in Nashville. It makes absolutely no sense. 
Now it's creeping over into the other teams, affecting the Steelers, affecting the Ravens. Uh, Scary almost affected the Vikings. They're still going to play against the Houston Texans. Both of those teams looking for their first win. I just don't get it. And I can't wait to go to that city. And I'm dying to go to that city. But it's going to be a while before I make it to Nashville. When we come back, two-time Super Bowl champ Ike Taylor joining the show. Stick with us. Sorallo Sports Talk. We'll be right back. Yeah, uh-huh. you know what it is. Black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow. Yeah, uh-huh. you know what it is. Black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow. back here on Sorallo Sports Talk. And ladies and gentlemen, joining us next, he's the pride of New Orleans, the most raging Cajun of them all, a two-time Super Bowl champ who some say should be a two-time Super Bowl MVP, one of the greatest Pittsburgh Steeler defensive backs of all time. It's Ike Taylor. Thanks for joining the show, man. That's a heck of an intro. We, <laughs> we, told, we told him before the show started, Try not to blush. I tried, though, but I couldn't help it. <laughs> Look, you know, you, you get that hardware on your fingers. You get two Super Bowl rings, and you deserve an introduction like that, man. I appreciate you. <laughs> of course. Ike, look, this has to be a pretty enjoyable football season for you right now. Louisiana Lafayette, 3-0. and Pittsburgh Steelers, 3-0. and What were your expectations for your Steelers coming into this year? I look at it from a, a front office slash co- coaching point. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that, just dealing with the Kevin Colbert's and the Mike T's and the Rooney's and them letting me sit in and the drive meetings and, you know, thinking I'm a scout because that's, that's, that's what I like to do. I like to scout. They, they always looked at it quarterly and it's every four games. So they figure if they can go three, three and one every four games, they'll put them at 12 and four for the end of the year. They'll put them at a good position to get into the playoffs. So um, right now they're three and oh. Um, I'm sure they would love to be 4-0. Hopefully, Pittsburgh Steelers can be 4-0. But if they sitting at the quarter of 3-1, they wouldn't be sad at all. Yeah, it, it's been a really encouraging start. You know, obviously, uh, it always helps week one, week two, weeks, uh, weeks one and two, obviously, set the tone for so many teams. You fall to 0-2, your playoff chances are down to 12%, 2-0, and they're up over 50%. And, you know, starting off against my Giants and the turnover-prone Daniel Jones, it's always a good way to start the season when you see a New York team on your schedule. Yeah, New York is having a lot of problems um, from an organization standpoint, I yeah. think. And that's we can criticize the players as much as we want to, but, you know, just coming from Pittsburgh, I think everything starts from the top. Um, and that has a lot to do with coaching as well. Um, it's a, and I'm not going to discredit any coaches and any opportunity, but, you know, now I really do believe and really do feel uh, coaches got to adjust to their personnel. I think a lot of times, you know, these coaches want the player to adjust to what they have. And I think it got to be, you know, the best of both worlds, 50-50. Sometimes as a coach, you got to learn and you got to adjust to what you have, adapt to what you have. And I think that's hard for a lot of coaches because 
really, I don't think a lot of coaches know how to, to be honest. It's, it's only it's only one of the few. And we're talking about, you know, the Belichucks. We're talking about the Andy Reeds. Um, we're talking about the Coach Tees. We're talking about a lot of guys who just keep rotating playoff chances slash Super Bowls. But all they do is adjust to their personnel and, and, and figure out what they have to do. A lot of the coaches I'm talking about, they go to colleges, you know, in the offseason, and they, they sit down with college coaches. So, you know, kids are coming out of college to go to the NFL, so the adjustment isn't that hard. So you talk about great coaches being able to adjust to their personnel. You had the continuity throughout your career, which not a lot of players can say that they were fortunate enough to have two Hall of Fame coaches, going from Bill Cowher to Mike Tomlin. You see the Giants now, three coaches in four years. The Jets, constant turnover with their head coaches. How lucky were you to be able to go from Cowher to Coach T and play an over 10-year career with those two guys? Man, I, I, I've been surrounded by greatness. If you look at it, if you want to go on the defensive side, you can go to the great Dick LeBeau. So far as like coaching staff, then after that is Coach Cowher. Um, I would agree that Coach T will get in the Coaching Hall of Fame. But that's, that's what I've been surrounded by. And we're just talking about the coaching staff. We ain't even talking about players. So um, for me, man, I'm just very fortunate that I've been blessed, like I said earlier, just to be surrounded by greatness as a staff and as a organization. Yeah, well, you had some great players in that defense, too. You know, guys like Palomalu, obviously, right, in that second Super Bowl, Ryan Clark, BMAC, James Harrison. How does this current Steelers defense compare to especially that one uh, Super Bowl 43 that you played on? You're just starting to see the brotherhood. Think of late, a couple of years ago, it, just looking at it from afar, and I talked about this yesterday, it was more of a uh, I instead of we. It was too much of me instead of we. Um, now now I think it's more of a what we doing, or I don't I, – if I'm going to use the word I, it's I don't want to let my brother down. You know, as far as like playing on the field, it wasn't the look what I'm, look what I do, you know, or I did my part. So I think now it's just more of a good camaraderie. I think the brotherhood is real now. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's how I'm looking at the Pittsburgh Steelers as a whole, as a team. I think they're just having fun. I think it, I think it was a mix of, of of people, whether whether it was from free agency or draft picks. I think pretty much everybody is in their prime. I think they finally clicking. They enjoy. They're enjoying each other. They're embracing change, and that's. And this is what you're seeing. You're seeing a three and and0 team. I think Ben, um, by far, will be playing some of his best football. And I'm not talking about the arm or the talent wise. I'm talking about from the neck up. You know his IQ. So he got a lot of talent to work with. I I, I think Ben understands now. You know, running the ball isn't a bad thing. You know, winning isn't a bad thing as well. Uh, when it's time for me to pass the ball, that's something I will do, but I'm going to take care of my own first. Um, I'm back I'm back now that I have a defense. I think the defense has been playing lights out since the second half of last year, so I, I, I think I think, th I think the setup is, is, is for Pittsburgh uh, to push and make a run for this championship. Yeah, I mean, look, I definitely think that they pose the biggest threat to Kansas City out of anyone in the AFC, and it's all because of that defense, which you know, you mentioned the second half of last year. If you can have a respectable season with Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph at quarterback, you know the defense is doing something right. But you also talked about embracing change and what comes this team's way. What's going on right now with the Tennessee Titans, the COVID outbreak for the Titans, 
this week's game being postponed, the likelihood that the Steelers will have to play 13 straight to close out the year. How would you have felt about that as a player? I had to do that a few times. That's that's part of the game. That's part of the business. You know what you sign up for. So by the end of the day, you know, player, players get it. Um, from the outside looking in, there's something to talk about. But from the inside and just seeing people talk about it out, it's just, man, you, you, you understand, you get it. It's just part of the job. Um, would you rather, you know, that buy or or coming towards the middle or the end of the season? Of course. You know, why wouldn't you? But at the same time, you know, if you play long enough, things like this is going to happen. So your buy could come at the fourth week, and it is for Pittsburgh. So that's that's just something you deal with. You know what I'm saying? But it's a good thing. You hit the reset button mentally on the bye weeks, and you know you got 13 straight weeks to handle your business and do what you need to do. Yeah, and, and hopefully right now, you know, that one seed becoming all more important now that it's uh, just the one seed who gets the bye week in the postseason, something that they're definitely going to be looking at, saying if we want some rest before making a, a potential Super Bowl run, we got to go get that one seed. The two seed won't cut it anymore. Looking at a potential Super Bowl run, I want to talk about a couple of Super Bowls that you played in. Incredible career, Ike, 14 interceptions in your career just in the regular season. Do any of them compare – to picking off Matt Hasselbeck in the red zone in Super Bowl 40? Nah, you get a, you get an interception in the Super Bowl. That's like it's like all-time favorite. You know, for me, that that, that was the all-time. Um, one, it's hard to get there. Two, to actually um, be able to make a play and change the game uh, means, means a lot to me. You know, how many people say they got, they, they got an interception in the Super Bowl and won it? So, and, and that was a young pup. That was a young Ike. So it, it, it was just right now, right now that I, we're talking and thinking about it, um, you know, I, re I really never thought about it until we started talking about it now. Huh. You, I, I, I just thought that was part of the game. I just wanted to help my team, and I wound up doing it. So uh, it's, it's very exciting for me. Um, I'm a very prideful person, but uh, – you know, I, I'll take coming up clutch in the playoffs during the regular season any day, and, and I felt like that was one of the clutch plays in my career, hopefully for the organization, and help them win another Super Bowl. You know what was amazing about that interception, for me at least? So I told you I'm from Long Island. I'm a Giants fan, right? That was the first year I ever played football. I was seven years old, and my team was the Steelers in 2005. So I was super invested in your guys' run and your win against Seattle that year. And watching that after my team my first year had gone on to win our Super Bowl in that Pee Wee League, watching you guys do that, you pick off Hasselbeck, secure the Steelers win in Super Bowl 40 was one of my favorite memories as a kid of watching football. Absolutely loved every minute of it. Yeah, that was, that was, a, that was my first year starting year three and we wind up going to the Super Bowl and Jerome Bittis was from the city of Detroit Super Bowl was in Detroit and you just couldn't script the season we had beating Chicago because Chicago was hot at the time with with a nasty defense beating Chicago at Hinesville watching Bussy truck a few people to get in the end zone. Um, I think we had to win. We had to win six games straight. We couldn't lose 
won six games straight, became the wild card, and kind of took off on everybody. I mean, th that year we had to play the top four, top five, number one ranked offenses in the in the NFL through the AFC, and we wound up, you know, handling our business. But yeah, man, that that year, you know, and, and we did it for Bussy, we did it for Jerome Bettis, and that's one. And so this is what I mean about the brotherhood and being unselfish. Like, okay, let's get Bussy home. Um, and we wound up getting Bussy home and winning the Super Bowl for Bussy. We just so happened to all get rings. That's how we felt in that organization. Um, that's how we felt in that locker room. So, and we tried to do it to get off subject. We tried to do it for Flozell Adams, who was an offensive lineman for Dallas. You know, Flo, Flo came to us. We got Flo in free agency towards the end of his career, the back end, and we knew the Super Bowl was in Dallas, so the whole thing for that locker room was let's do it for Flo. So that, 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 just go, that just goes to show you um, our thoughts and how we felt about each other. It was always about your brother. It was never about yourself. That's interesting. I, I didn't know the flows Al Adams part. I mean, everyone talks about Jerome Bettis, of course, you know, going to Detroit, ending his career with the Super Bowl there. I didn't know that part about Flozell. That's amazing. Now, I talked about that interception, obviously. Do you consider that the best game of your career? Any level, college, pros? You know, I mean, in addition to that pick, two pass deflections, seven tackles. You, you were all over the place. And like you said, it was just your first year starting. I think my best game was the Super Bowl we lost against AR-12, against okay. the Green Bay Packers. I think, I think that by far that was one of my best games. That that was that was because AR twelve was hot in the playoffs. I'm talking about the dude couldn't <laughs> he couldn't he couldn't miss. I mean, man, we came back to the sideline and Dicky Coastal Bow was like, "Hey, man, y'all boys in position, but this man is in a whole nother dimension. So you just you just gotta you you just gotta shake his hand after the game. He'd be like." <laughs> Whatever you got, let me get some of that. But um, I felt like as an individual, that was probably my best, my best game. Because Men mentally, mentally, like I, I felt, I felt real good during the game. Of course, the outcome, no, I was sad as hell. But during the game, I, I felt like that was probably one of my best games ever. So where would you rank in the Steelers teams that you played on? Would you say the best Steeler team you ever played on is one of the two that won? Or would you say that team that lost to AR-12 would actually be the best team that you played on? Man, that, that 2009, the one, the one that we won in Temple, that 2008 season, man, that was, that, was, that was the best. From a defensive standpoint, I think we ranked, we set all kinds of records yeah, from a stat I, standpoint. I mean, that defense was amazing. And, you know, it's funny. I was looking through that defense, that depth chart earlier, and I believe you are now the – fourth or fifth guy I've had on my show from that defense. I've had BMAC on twice. I've had Ryan Clark on. I've had Harrison on. I mean, you're the third member of the secondary and now the fourth guy from that defense. And I mean, Brett Kiesel up front, uh, Casey Hampton up front. I mean, that defense was, I would say, one of the best NFL defenses of my lifetime. We were so in tune between the coaching staff and the players. We all chipped in on the game plan. That's 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 what made it so special. 
and Coach Ray Horton, who was our defensive back coach, I mean, he he football one-on-one. He simplified the offense. So if you didn't get to what, what he was, was saying, something was wrong with you. Coach Ray simplified it, and he simplified it by formations, first, second, and third down. This is what these offensive coordinators like to do. Now, if you're playing Atlanta, you got to respect a Julio Jones. If you're playing the Carolina Panthers at the time, you got to respect a Steve Smith Sr. If you're playing the Cincinnati Bengals, you got to respect the A.J. Green. But this is what this offensive coordinator loves to do. Just know where such and such, such and such, and such and such is at. And once he broke it down like that, then broke down tips and tendencies, we went on the field every game damn near overprepared. We knew exactly what the team wanted to do on first, second, or third. Exactly what the team wanted to do. And as a whole, as a whole. So we'll, we'll sit in meetings and we'll talk about it with the coaching staff, but then we'll go to Pot Dog, James Ferrier's house. We'll all go to Pot Dog house on a Thursday, watch the game, a Thursday night game, but at the same time, we'll still be going over plays on what, what we're playing on Sunday, what they like to do. So we did everything plus more when it came to that year. And damn near everybody was in their prime. Damn near everybody was in their prime. So uh, it that sat a little different. That 2008 Steelers defense, man, we was, we was breaking records. That, that's amazing. Now, that team, best team you played on, best defense you played on, What's going through your head when you're on the field in the Super Bowl and you see James Harrison chugging along 100, what was it, 106 yards with that pick six? What are you thinking when you see him and he's just not going down? Well, the first 20 yards, I was like giving a damn ball. <laughs> if, you, if you pay attention to the, uh, to the video, I was like, man, pitch the ball to me. You ain't going to make it. <laughs> but, you know, it's, then it became blocking. It's like, damn, he ain't about to give me the ball, so – let me see if I can pick up a few blocks. But um, that was very historic. That was a historical moment, not only for the organization, not only for James Harrison, but just for me, period. You know, just being part of that, man. I had a lot of front row seats to a lot of great moments and great plays all because of my teammates. So um, it, it, that was a fun moment to watch. You know, once you saw James get past the 50, uh, once you saw guys blocking, it's like, damn, we got to get this dude in. We got to get him in, you know? So, but the unselfishness, that's, that's, that's just, that's, that was us. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Now, I, I got to ask one more thing about James Harrison because I've done over, I've done over 200 interviews. Uh, and I had James on in Atlanta at Radio Road two years ago. And I can honestly say that there are only three interviews that I've ever done where I've actually been intimidated in person sitting across from the guests. And it was Bill Romanowski, Charlie Weiss, not because of Charlie's stature, but just because he was actually rude as hell. And then, uh, and James Harrison, the man of very few words, just kept it simple. And I got to say, he was just to me and to my co-host at the time, a pretty intimidating person to be around. What's James like off the field? Does he ever relax? Does he ever have fun? Or is James Harrison like beast mode 24 seven? Nah, when you, when you, I mean, when you know James, he, James fun as hell. But to, from, from a, 
if he don't if he don't know you, he ain't really he ain't really messing with you. You know what I'm saying? Like he's yeah. James not gonna sugarcoat or fake it. You know, he, he pride himself, he prides himself on being a, a man's man, you know. That's that's what that's what Debo prides himself on, you know, being an alpha. You know, uh, when you shake my hand, you gotta look me in my eye. I need a firm grip. Like that's 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 Debo. He he all the way old school. So um, but he doesn't mean any harm. You know, if you don't if you don't cross James, you you all good. You cross him, you might got a problem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you gotta understand he he he's the youngest out of double digit kids his mom had. So he had to fight a lot. You oh wow, I didn't know like, that. Yeah, Debo the youngest. So all Debo Debo been fighting his whole life. You know, and, and I'm talking about the food on the table. So you he he built a little different. Though before as like being a great guy, yeah, hell of a guy, man. Debo a hell of a guy. That's awesome. Look, I, I know you're a little crunched for time here. I know you got to get to the airport. Before I let you go, back to this year's Steeler team, your quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer one day. How much does he have left? Off of what he's surrounded by, seven got about three more years left. He got a young receiving core. Now it's going to be on the O-line. It's, it's going to be on Pouncey. Like, between Pouncey and Big Ben, they, they got a relationship like Troy and I when it comes down football related. They both said they're going to retire with each other. And I really do believe that. So it's, it's going to be between Pouncey. Every offseason, Pouncey and Big Ben going to have a conversation on what they want to do. But for me, I'm looking at three more years. Amazing. Two-time Super Bowl champ, Ike Taylor. Ike, thanks so much for joining the show, man. No problem, bro. Thank you. We'll be right back here on Serralo Sports Talk. Don't even think about leaving. You're locked into the best sports talk out there. Here's Joe. All right, we're back here on Serralo Sports Talk with what's become a bit of a weekly spot. It's time for the man as you know him from BrandonLang.com, the one and only Brandon Lang. What up, what up, what up? I'll tell you what's up. The Denver Broncos, plus the one last night, got it done. That now moves the BrandonLang.com website record to a documented and validated 12-3 and on the season a perfect 5-0 and in college football, 7-3 and in the NFL. If, uh, of course, a couple of breaks go my way, we'd be 9-1 and in the NFL. Except Steven Goskowski decides to miss three field goals and an extra point Monday night against the Titans. Uh, I'm sorry, it's Denver. And then, of course, Cam Newton and the Josh McDaniel horrific transsexual play call of a lifetime at the goal line to get the win. Let's go tranny left with trannies leading trannies into the <laughs> tranny hole. And, of course, nothing but big husky men waiting for the trannies and the Patriots come up short. If those two plays go my way, we're looking at a validated 9-1 and one 
and we are a documented 14 and one in football. Now, that being said, we'll take the 12 and three. We'll take my fifth straight Thursday night winner and uh, get ready to roll into the weekend there, Big Daddy. Let's do it, man. Hey, by the way, did you say you got Denver plus one? Yeah. I got the minus three. I jumped on it too early this week. I thought Driscoll was going to be the quarterback. I took a minus three, and thank fucking God Melvin Gordon broke loose at the end because they were up two, and Melvin Gordon saved my life inside two minutes. Well, you must have bet it really early in the week. I'm talking like Tuesday morning. Yeah, all day Thursday it was Jets minus one. Yeah. It was Jets minus one and a half, and it went down to one and stayed at one pretty much the rest of the way. So, um, And one other piece of advice for you. My young Luke Skywalker, don't you ever lay three in your life again, you cheap fuck. Spin the 130 and buy it down to two and a half, or you spin the 130 and buy the dog up to three and a half, because 79% of NFL games fall on the number three. So just remember that, trying to help a brother out. Amazing. And you know I'm trying to land a job with you. And week three didn't exactly go my way. A three and six record last week. Obviously, there were a couple bad breaks in there. We've talked about it before uh, we started airing Monday night. What a shit show that was by Baltimore. Yeah, we learned three things on Monday night. Of course, that was of uh, football loser number three on the season of my 12 and three start. Here's the three things we learned on Monday night. If you ever get Patrick Mahomes as an underdog against anybody on the planet Earth, you don't even handicap the game. You take him. That's number one. Number two, in big games, John Harbaugh continues to implode big time. And number three, Lamar Jackson. Listen. I know everybody wants to put it on Lamar. Yeah, he had a terrible game. He'll never beat Patrick Mahomes. And that's it. And that Baltimore defense should be absolutely embarrassed. And now you're going to give Humphreys. Humphreys another however many million. He was horrible on Monday night. Got exposed multiple times. And then you're going to give him a pay raise after that performance? Oh, my God, somebody call 911 because that man flat out stole money, brother. Stole money. Forgot to show up on national TV. Got rewarded five years, 98 mil. Uh, You know, there there were a lot of other bad breaks uh, week three. The Washington football team was up going into the fourth. Got blank 17-0 in the last quarter. Uh, The Cardinals, Kyler Murray, three interceptions. The Chargers, Justin Herbert looked like he was playing uh, the 1985 Bears defense out there against Carolina. It, It was just... Not my week. Looking to get back on track. So starting with college football, man. The SEC, that was maybe your most impressive call of the weekend. Mississippi State, not just covering the 17.5, winning outright against LSU. How do you feel about the SEC's upcoming slate this week? Yeah, my best bet last Saturday was was Arkansas plus 28. And with nine minutes to go in the third quarter, I'm up 10-5. So I'm up 33 points. I'm getting Texas from my boys. B-Lang, you the man, baby, you the man. We're going to win outright. Four touchdown dog. We're going to win outright, B-Lang. Greatest call I've ever seen, my brother. You the man, B-Lang. You the man, B-Lang. We ain't, sing- we ain't singing praises to Jesus Christ, Allah, or the Easter Bunny. We singing praises to B-Lang. 
be laying. Here's what happened right after I got those texts. Georgia goes on a five-play drive for a touchdown, and they go for two, 13-10. Next possession, quarterback for Arkansas throws a pick six, 20-10. Next possession, Arkansas goes three and out, block, punt, touchdown, 27-10. And next possession, he throws another pick, leads to a touchdown. And in the course of nine minutes in the third quarter, it's now 34-10, and Georgia's up 24. And in the fourth quarter, Kirby Smart called off the dogs a little bit with against his former offensive line coach. They got into Arkansas territory three times. Once they turned it over on downs, once they punted, and then they were going to score, kick the field goal, and then their next possession, they were going to go to score and cover, and they got a holding penalty, and they punted, and we got out of there, plus 28, losing by 27. Moral to the story, don't you ever text me and say a game is a winner at halftime, or I will delete you from Facebook. I will delete you from my phone. I will never speak to you again. These stinking games ain't over until that scoreboard says 0-0-0. So some great games in the SEC this week. Thanks for the call, Mississippi State. Uh, I'm, I'm going to stay away from Auburn, Georgia. Uh, I'm going to force Bo Nix to go in there and show me he can play a great game. I do like Kentucky uh, minus the two over Ole Miss. Ole Miss has no defense whatsoever. I will be absolutely shocked if, if Mississippi State doesn't once again come back and absolutely blow out Arkansas and now have to go on the road. Um, I, I think Mississippi State absolutely names it. Um, those are the two in the SEC that kind of jump out at me. There you go. What about the Big 12? To me, the Big 12 has the best plays this weekend. Texas minus 11.5 against TCU is interesting to me. Uh, Oklahoma minus 7 at Iowa State. I love Oklahoma coming off a loss. They seem to lose one game every year. So if they got that out of their system, uh, where do you lay on those games? Um, I would be careful if I were you with both of those games. Iowa State and Matt Campbell has covered his last four versus Oklahoma, including the incredible 38-31 upset in 2017. He's 18-9-1 as a dog since arriving at Iowa State. You blow that kind of lead at home up 21 as a 27-point favorite, and you are whatever. What were they laying in that game? What were uh, they laying last week? Was an Oklahoma 27-and-a-half-point favorite against Kansas State? 27 and a half and you lose outright giving up 24 straight unanswered and you got to somehow rally your troops and go into Iowa State that's a very experienced Iowa State team yes they lost to Louisiana to Lafayette to start the year but this is an Iowa State team getting a full seven points here be careful of that home dog and your other best bet TCU and Gary Patterson have always played Texas tough. Frogs won and covered five of the last six in this series. Tom Herman three and three as an Austin Chalk and six and ten in that role since he's come to the Horns. I always say this: you play against Tom Herman as a favorite, you go with him as an underdog, and you will make money with the Horns. That's what the numbers say to do. Tread lightly, my young friend. There you go. All right, let's hit the NFL, man, before I let you go. I know Friday's busy for you. you got calls all over the country. Cleveland-Dallas, the Cowboys, four-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Dallas Cowboys, kind of similar to the Texas Longhorns in that respect. You go against them when they're a favorite, go with them as an underdog. 
Where do you see uh, this game going? Which direction? Yeah, I'm gonna force. I'm gonna force Mike McCarthy to have his Cowboys play a play a clean game here. The problem with Dallas is if you're gonna cover more than a field goal, you have, you gotta have a defense that's gonna make stops. And in that game last week, all they had to do was just play a little D, and Seattle's gonna kick the winning field goal, and they're gonna cover the number. Of course, their their corner gets beat deep. Russ scrambles and hits him, and then you don't cover if you have Dallas. A tough, 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 tough beat. Same with Pittsburgh, Houston. And all you gotta do is hold Pittsburgh to field goal. And Texans allow a touchdown, and then they end up getting beat by a touchdown in both games that should have been decided by a field goal. So I like Cleveland in the game. I just I don't think Dallas, that defense, is going to be able to make enough stops uh, to get it going. They're three and eleven. Their last, they're three and eight. Their last eleven as a chalk. The Dallas Cowboys. I'm going to go with Cleveland plus the points. Interesting. Another four-and-a-half-point spread. I'm kind of leaning towards the home dog here. It's the Saints, four-and-a-half-point favorites at the Detroit Lions. Detroit coming off their first win of the year. Who are you going with there? Yeah, I like the home dog. I yeah. like the home dog. They showed me something last week with that win. At, at, at you know they, they, they broke a 12-game losing streak against one of the hotter teams in the NFL, and they picked them off three times. Um, you look at Detroit this year – they're a couple plays away um, from being a two-and-one football team, and I, I, I like what I'm seeing. I said before, I think there's something wrong with the Saints. That's why I had 150 dimer number eight in a row on the website Sunday with the Packers, and I'm going to come back and take the home dog here plus four. Yeah, I was with you on that one. As bad a week as I had week three, Packers money line may be my best call of the weekend. Uh, how about the Arizona Cardinals, the team that Detroit knocked off last week? Three and a half point favorites at Carolina. I was waiting all week for that to come down. It didn't. That three and a half number scares me a little bit. Yeah, where 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 are they at mentally? Um, Matt Rule has his team playing inspired football right now. They really do. And um, I think Arizona goes in here and I think they win the game, but I don't think they cover the, the three and a half. I think that's a field goal game. I like the home dog. Now, going with uh, your preseason MVP pick, Tom Brady, the Brady Bucks. Uh, last week, that was another one that actually saved me. Brady uh, covering the six points in Denver. Seven-point favorite at home this time against a Charger team that just looked abysmal against Carolina last week. Do the Chargers recoup and rebound, or does Brady take care of business again? I will be absolutely shocked if the Buccaneers don't win this game by 14 points or more. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Because... Because Todd Bowles is is he was he was an okay head coach. He is a phenomenal defensive coordinator, and that Tampa Bay defense held Drew Brees to 166. Um, and in the last two weeks, they just keep getting better and better and better. And now back home against a rookie quarterback on the road against that defense and the blitzes he's going to see, it's going to be education 101. I see at least three turnovers. I see Tampa Bay's defense just announcing their presence with authority, and I think they run away and hide for at least a three-touchdown win. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, Levante David, Defensive Player of the Month in the NFC. Antoine Winfield, Defensive Rookie of the Month in the NFC. You know, everyone wants to talk about Brady and his many weapons on offense, but that defense is really killer. Well, think about this. Teddy Bridgewater went up and down the field on this Chargers defense. Which was supposed to be a great day. Which was supposed to be a great day. Brady is going to have a big day. End of story. I'm with you. Two more I want to get to. Pats plus seven at Kansas City. Short week for the Chiefs. 
look, the Pats are going to come at you schematically with stuff that is going to throw you off every week. But is Mahomes at the point where he's too good to worry about even a coach like Belichick? Yeah, but the strength of, unlike Baltimore, whose secondary couldn't cover grandmothers in wheelchairs, <laughs> the strength of New England's defense is that secondary. And so for me, I think it, it matches up well. Kansas City wins the game. Absolutely. But I believe New England hangs right in there, able to run the football. I don't think the Chiefs' defense is as good at Lamar and the Ravens made them look. Let's go and take uh, the Pats plus a seven. All right. And then the last one, Sunday night football, the Niners still running a lot of backups out there. Touchdown favorites against the Eagles. Is this the week to take the Eagles? Maybe not just with the points, but for their first win of the year? This is something that they do. Just when you count them out, just when you write them off for dead, just when you're like, there's just no way in the world they're going to win a game, they then go win a game. It's, it's, it's what they do. It happened at Chicago last year against the Bears. They went in there, and that's when the Bears were playing out of their mind, and they, they go in there and win the game outright. So I do like Philly this week plus the points. I think they go in there and they hang around, and uh, this game goes right down to the wire. There you have it. All your bets for the week right there. Brandon Lang, thanks so much for joining me, man. Hey, enjoy the Hamptons. I just found out today that you're out here on Long Island with me. I thought you'd been in Vegas, baby. Nah, man, playing a little Shinnecock tomorrow, a little, uh, little U.S. Open. Playing Wingfoot on Tuesday, playing Marion and, uh, and Oakmont. So a little East Coast golf for Lang and the Banger before heading back to Vegas. Living the life. How is your golf game? I- I've never played with you. Well, I'm, right now my handicap's down to a nine, hitting the ball well. Struggling a bit with my driver, but my short game's immaculate. My putting game's immaculate. Just got to fix that driver off the tee. And now we're the opposite. My drive this year, this summer, has been really good. Finally hitting it straight. I've never had problems hitting it far, but it's usually been slicing off to the right. Finally hitting it straight, killing it off the tee this summer. I can't putt for shit. Well, come on, bro. That's where you make your money. On the green. Absolutely, man. Enjoy yourself. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, bud. Don't change that channel. It's time for Joe's final word here on Serralo Sports Talk. All right, time for my final word here on Sorello Sports Talk. And what a show it's been. Great spot right there, as always, from Brandon Lang. We'll get to my Sorello pick six, what I agree with him on, what I don't necessarily agree with him on, and a phenomenal spot earlier in the show. Ike Taylor, two-time Super Bowl champ, coming in with everything Pittsburgh Steelers and then some. But let's get to it. My Sorello pick six. I'm starting off with one college game this week. It's the Oklahoma Sooners at Iowa State. Give me the Sooners minus the seven. I know Iowa State has a history in this series of covering against Oklahoma. I know Iowa State was ranked top 25 preseason. I am not impressed with Brock Purdy. And truthfully, Iowa State has been, can be the kryptonite for Oklahoma, but they're a perennial one-loss team. They lost that game last week to Kansas State. I think they're coming out with a vengeance this week. Give me the Sooners. Boomer Sooner. Minus seven at the Cyclones. Over to the NFL slate. 
Nick Foles versus Frank Reich. I love it. These two brought the Eagles their first Super Bowl a couple Februarys ago. Now it's the Colts, a two-and-a-half-point road favorite against the Bears. Nick Foles did what Nick Foles does last week. Came in late in the game. His team was trailing big. Propelled the comeback victory against Atlanta. I've seen him do it firsthand. The first NFL game I went to. Did it against my Giants when Mike Vick got knocked out with an injury. This week, he's the starter. Indy knows he's the starter. Indianapolis is going to win, and they're going to cover. Give me the Colts minus two and a half. Frank Reich's just too much of a genius to let this one slip up. The Seattle Seahawks, six and a half point favorites in Miami. Look, I'm a fan of this Miami team. I took them opening week plus seven against New England. Make no mistake about it, this Seahawks offense far surpasses that of the New England Patriots. I know they're without Jamal Adams on defense. I know they're without Jordan Brooks on defense, who I'm still yet to see enough from to say I'm impressed. Give me the Seahawks in a score fest in Miami, minus six and a half. Now, I know I've taken three favorites to start it off, three road favorites to start it off. Give me a home dog here, the Detroit Lions, four and a half point dogs against the New Orleans Saints. Michael Thomas's absence is hurting New Orleans more and more every week. Matthew Stafford has looked great last week for the first time. The rest of his teammates looked halfway decent. I'm going to go with the Lions. I don't know if they're going to win this one, but it'll be a close game. I'm going to say Saints 24, Lions 20. So give me Detroit plus four and a half. All right, on to some big four o'clock games. Tampa Bay, the Brady Bucks hosting Justin Herbert and the LA Chargers. I was way too high on Herbert in his second start last week. He lost to Carolina. Forget covering the six and a half points. He lost to one of the worst defenses in football. Tampa Bay, one of the best defenses in football. I think Herbert's going to struggle. Dare I say it? He might even see ghosts a la Sam Darnold on Sunday against the Brady Bucks. Give me Tampa Bay. Forget minus seven. Like B. Lang said, minus 14, minus 21 even. The Bucks in a blowout. On to Kansas City. The Chiefs on a short week hosting New England. They're also seven-point favorites, and I'm also taking them. This is where I'm disagreeing with B. Lang. He said he liked New England to cover the seven points. He liked Kansas City to win. I like Kansas City to win and cover. He had a great point. I say it all the time. The strong suit of this Patriots defense is their secondary. Their pass rush will not be able to put enough pressure on Patrick Mahomes like that of the Chargers did a couple weeks ago to keep this one all that close. I'm going to say Chiefs by 10. Give me KC minus 7. And now... For my extra point, my upset of the week. I had to really look around for this one. I don't like a lot of underdogs this week, week four in the National Football League. And I was going to go with Tennessee, who was a point and a half dog at home. That would have been the perfect extra point to me. Almost a pick em. Home dog. Give me the Titans. The game got postponed. So I'm going with the Eagles. I'm going with Sunday night football for the second straight week for my extra point. They are seven point dogs talk about a value plus 260 money line look Nick Mullins is great Nick Mullins might be better than Jimmy Garoppolo but Carson Wentz needs a win no one's happy with a tie they might as well be 0-3 give me the Eagles trying to salvage their season in that awful NFC East 1-2-1 might be first place who knows give me Philly Sunday night my extra point my upset of the week and just like that this episode of Serralo Sports Talk is up it's over it's out of here. Special thanks, B. Lang, for his fourth straight weekly spot. Special thanks, Ike Taylor, coming on, bringing the heat. Amazing spot right there. And, of course, special thanks to Kirsten Kroll for all the work she does on the show. Guys, I'll see you next week.
For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.